really good to be able to worship together, to be a part of a family like this. A lot of people don't have this. It's, a, it's actually a problem in our culture. It can't even be a problem among us when people are isolated or alone or lonely in particular. So a lot of research has been done recently about loneliness and isolation and the impact that it has on people. I wanted to share a little bit of it with you. In 2008, the University of Michigan evaluated a relationship between social isolation and mental functioning. They conducted a study that measured the memory and intellectual performance of two groups. One group, they had spent 10 minutes before they took a test or a quiz, spent 10 minutes just chatting, just doing social interaction. And the other spend 10 minutes, you know, doing crossword puzzles, reading, something that will sharpen your brain. What they found was that the groups that spent their time interacting with others performed just as well as the groups that spent time warming up their brains. Social isolation is a growing epidemic. It's, it's having dire physical consequences, social consequences, mental consequences, and emotional consequences. Since the 1980s, Studies show that the percentage of American adults who label themselves and claim to be lonely has increased, has doubled from 20% to 40%. Since 1980, the number of American adults who say they're lonely has doubled from 20% to 40%. A new wave of research keeps showing more and more about what loneliness and isolation does. Individuals with less social interaction have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, inflammation, higher levels of stress hormones, and one recent study even found that isolation increases the risk of heart disease by 29% and it increases the risk of stroke by 32%. Being alone, being lonely, being isolated. The New York Times published an article with a lot of this research in 2016, and here's what they said. A great paradox of our hyper-connected digital age is that we seem to be drifting apart. Isn't that ironic? The great paradox of our highly connected digital age is we're drifting apart. Increasingly, however, and this is the New York Times, research confirms our deepest intuition. Human connection lies at the heart of human well-being. Human connection lies at the heart of human well-being. They go on, it's up to us, doctors, patients, neighborhoods, communities, we would say churches, to maintain bonds where they are fading and to create ones where they haven't existed. So such a problem. And the remedy is acceptance. The remedy is belonging. The remedy is community. This is how we were designed. It's how God made us. In fact, God himself, our creator, is community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, And he created mankind with this intrinsic capacity and need to be in relationships, to be in community. I want to unpack that for a minute because I think it's really foundational to our talk today. This is, if you go to Genesis chapter 2.18 is where you read this, creation account, God says this is good, this is good, this is good, or the writer does. And then all of a sudden, God says, stop the show, something here is not good. And it was before sin entered the world, wasn't it? Sin hadn't entered the world yet, and God said, there's something in this perfect creation I'm making that's not good. What did he say was not good? It's not good for man to be alone. Now, we've corrupted it on this side of the fall, but 
I think we have to derive from that that in God's perfect creation, had sin never entered the world, He created some vehicle of human connectedness as a way we will fully know Him and fully know one another. That human connectedness and relationships is part of the design. I often talk to people who are in unfulfilled relationships, whether it's marriage, friendship, coworkers, parents, children. And what I hear oftentimes is, I know I shouldn't need anything more than God. I should just find in God everything I need. I shouldn't need this person's relationship, their care. And I say, boy, I don't know if that's what the Bible really teaches. I don't think it's all in God because unless you say in God, God wants you to have that relationship because somehow when God created mankind, He created us with this intrinsic desire and ability and capacity to connect, and somehow that's going to be how we do life and how we know God and how we know one another. So we all belong to this community of humanity. Every person on this planet is stamped with the image of God, wired for relationships to know Him. I want to take us to the Old Testament, to God pulling a man out of the sea of humanity, a man named Abram. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can pull that up and go to events, first free, and you'll find these scriptures. I'm going to look at a couple different passages as we go through the message today. But God wanted to create out of this sea of humanity a special community, a unique community that He was going to interact with. And this is what we read in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord God said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. It's, it's really important that we understand that first community of faith that God formed, that it wasn't just for them, that from the very beginning, when God pulled Abram out of this sea of humanity and wanted to create this Old Testament community of people that we call Israel, the, the, the Jewish people who followed after God, followed after Abraham, um, that that was not just for their good, but so that they could be a blessing to the world, that all of the nations of the world would be blessed and would be able to connect with God through what He's doing there. And the Old Testament chronicles this faith community all the way through till the Messiah's arrival when Jesus came to bring even a newer community, a community that would have some continuity with that Old Testament community and some discontinuity, some new uh, fresh expressions of God's love and His creation. It's this community that we need to talk about today. And it's worth noting, by the way, that in Jesus' ministry, when he walked on this planet and taught and showed people the love of God, how often he was reaching out to who? To the lonely, to the isolated, to the outcast, to the rejected ones, to the ones who weren't connected. He was calling them to community, calling them to belong to this kingdom of God. In the New Testament, uh, one of the authors of one of the Gospels, Luke, wrote not just Luke but Acts and gives us a history of what happened in this early community of faith that I want to look at. So I want to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What had happened here is Jesus died, was buried, rose again, ascended back into heaven, and the followers of Jesus were a little confused, a little bewildered. Okay, now what do we do? Our rabbi is gone. We believe God was really in this. 
Luke tells us the Holy Spirit descended upon this group of believers and just incredible power, incredible miracles came as the Holy Spirit was poured out on this group of believers. Peter, one of the apostles, got up and gave a really, really powerful speech explaining what was going on and how God was tying what he was doing in the Old Testament through Jesus into this new community that he was building. And then in Luke chapter, or in Acts chapter 2, Luke describes what this community was like. So let's read Luke, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and the, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions, their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on this group of believers. Um, deep spiritual commitment deep commitment to God, deep commitment to one another. Luke identifies four activities that this early church was involved in that I want to touch on this morning. First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. A hallmark of this early church was what was it that Jesus said, and they were in an oral culture, not a written or internet culture like we have, so if you want to know something, you talk about it. And so the apostles, the ones who were the first-hand recipients of Jesus' teaching, were sharing with the community, this is what Jesus taught about this. Especially important as other people are being folded into the community of faith who didn't know Jesus, and this was new, and they're hearing about this. The apostles' teaching about what Jesus Christ taught is so critical, and it's critical for us as well. That lays the foundation for everything we do. That's what sets us apart as a community from any other community or group in our culture. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word fellowship here means sharing. They just shared a lot. They shared experiences. They, connect, they were connected on this common journey that they were on. You might be connected or have fellowship with other people. We sometimes talk about people who are cancer survivors as being in that community. You're in that fellowship. You have a shared experience. Or if you're a recovering alcoholic or if you have drug addiction issues in your past or you've gone through a divorce, you're, you're part of that shared experience that someone who hasn't had that experience may not fully be able to connect with. Well, this is the experience of people who've been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ who've been rescued from our own sin and bondage and brokenness and who, who have this hope of what Jesus is bringing to us. Early in this community of faith, they ate together. It says they ate every day. We do that fairly well here at First Free. We know how to eat together. But their eating together is something that means something special. In the first century Jewish culture that they were in, having meals together as an organization, as an association, was something really, really special. The Pharisees did it. Some Greek organizations had monthly meals where they came together. And we could talk about even the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate later, which is a special meal that commemorates this, the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. But even going back to something we did last week before 
our service last week, we only had one service, and we had breakfast together in the fellowship or in the activity center, and we had fellowship there together. There's something incredibly special that happens when we get together around tables because we have a common experience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Just last night, my wife and I spent the evening with a few other couples from, from our church here, had dinner together, and we just went around the table sharing our stories of how we met each other, what God's done in our lives, how God's interacting in our families right now. It was an incredibly rich time that a lot of people don't go there when they get together for dinner parties. We do. We bring up what's God doing in your life. How's God brought you guys together? What's God doing to help you in some of the hurting areas of your life? That's the kind of fellowship that we have. They were also devoted to prayer. This was another activity that they were involved in. Um, they prayed probably along the lines of what the Jewish people did in the Jewish religion. So they were adopting or adapting their experience with Christ to what was going on there. So those lessons were the lessons that, these, that Luke tells us. They devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer. I'm sure that wasn't all that they did. And this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This isn't like every church has to do this. We have to eat every day together in order to be a part of the church. But these are the kinds of things that you would expect to see in a New Testament church. Something else verse 43 tells us that's interesting is that there was a deep sense of awe and wonder about this group. There was a deep sense of awe and wonder. God was doing some miraculous things in this community. Not only were they drawing close in the shared experience, not only were they getting to know one another and eating together, but they were experiencing some very powerful moves of the Holy Spirit among them. And it doesn't list them here, but I assume it would be consistent with what we read in the rest of the New Testament, that there were people who were sick who were being healed. There were people who were in bondage to oppression, to evil spirits who were being delivered from those. There were people who had no hope who were being given hope. There were people who were isolated and outside of community who were brought into family. There were people who were rejected who were being found there's spiritual discernment going on, battles in the spiritual realm. Now, another distinctive feature we see in verse 47, I'm sorry, in, in verse, verses 44 to 45, it says that they didn't view their property as their own. Now, they did not sell everything and come up with one treasury that we all draw from, a common treasury, but they didn't view their stuff as being their stuff. If I have something, it's yours. As a pastor and counselor, by the way, and mediator, I can say a lot of the problems in our, situ in our society, a lot of the problems in our marriages and homes and workplaces stem from the concept of ownership. And it starts really little. That's my toy. It's mine. Give it back to me. He took that from me. She took that from me. And then we just keep that going all through life until this is mine, it's mine, it's mine. And that exacerbates the problem. It's my time. It's my resources. It's my my retirement, it's my summer, it's my experience. In the early church, what they said was, this is yours. If, if you, I have this, but if you need it, it's yours. Now, I've seen and, and heard from and experienced that in our church in pockets. I've seen and heard stories of shared resources. And we need to be about that as a church. We need to be, be about not owning things, but allowing God to use them. Um, Verse 47 then says that their daily witness included praising God for what He did, 
Apparently, they praised God in a manner that those outside the community could hear. And I don't know if that meant they were kind of on the periphery or listening, or if they were bringing them into the community. And as they came into the community, they were experiencing this power. And and it says, and this is really awesome in verse 47, God added to their fellowship those who were being saved every day, every day. See, living in an authentic Christian community was a powerful evangelistic strategy in this early church. Living in authentic Christian community was a powerful evangelistic strategy. I would argue that it's probably still the most powerful evangelistic strategy in the church. We usually jump over it. We jump over it to get to the big event where we can bring hundreds and thousands of people together and have them hear the gospel. We, we jump over it to some kind of strategy or approach that it's a gimmick or an event that helps people to connect with God before they connect with people. But when we do that, we avoid the experience that's the most powerful community. Plus, by the way, we, we do that. We have an event and we tell people, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, come and talk to us. Why? Because we want to get you plugged into a community. What if we avoided that step? What if we help people get plugged into a community, they meet Jesus, and then they're already in a community? That's what was happening in the early church. So let me recap where we've gone so far. And today we're talking about why community. So I've talked about it. Now I'm going to recap this. You can write it down if you want. If you want me to email the manuscript so you don't have to write all this down, you can just email rharms, Robin Harms, rharms at efree.org, and she'll send you my manuscripts. But I'm not done yet, too. I have more after this. But why community? Why community? Because, first of all, it meets a basic need in human existence. We are wired to be in community. Living outside of community puts us in dangerous territory. It also reflects the nature of God, who himself is community. He lives in community, and we have have been created in his image. It fulfills a part of that creation design in which God intends mankind to know him more fully through relationships. Yes, it's been tainted by the fall, but there's a relational connection that we need with people that was part of how God designed us. Then it conforms to God's redemptive plan of calling people to himself. God is a God who calls people to community. He's done that since Genesis 12. He calls people to community, and we need to be calling people to community. It gives expression to our common experience of faith, and it showcases the power and love for God for those in the community and outside the community. And I don't know about you, but I see that sometimes, and sometimes I have to be a little, I kind of am a little sad and probably hang my head a little bit because I think we probably should see more of God's power, more of God's explosive energy, more of his miracle-working deliverance in in our own community than we do. And it draws people to faith through natural relationships. So I'm going to shift gears for a minute. So that's kind of the why community in the big picture. But I'm going to shift gears and talk about life here at First Street. What does this look like? What can this look like? What would we like it to look like here at First Street? As part of our leadership restructure at the end of last year, I assumed responsibility for a group of ministries that we now call our discipleship ministries, adult ministries, a loosely connected group of ministries that seek to build disciples and seek to help people grow in their faith. These various ministries had some connection and coordination, little standard accountability and uniformity across the, across the scope. 
And as a result, we had and have separate leadership teams. So we have a leadership team for small groups. We have a leadership team for Sunday morning adult connection classes. We have a leadership team for men's ministry. We have a leadership team for women's ministry. We have a leadership team for care ministry. We have a leadership team for outreach uh, groups. We, all these groups with different leadership teams, and, and I have to take responsibility because I was at the table with care ministries, and while I was doing training with care ministries and others were doing training in their ministries, what we lacked was a common connection where we're all together having one conversation saying, all right, where are we going? How are we building disciples? What, what measurements are we using? What are we doing well? What could we be doing better? There are a lot of different approaches to measure how to do this. There are a lot of different approaches to design this. And I'm going to share with you now what we're going to be doing, what our paradigm for community is going to be here, not as a program, but as a way to facilitate a function of being this kind of community that we read about in Acts chapter 2. There are a lot of different ways to look at this. I'm going to share with you four main activities that we're going to look at and want to look at groups at being. I'm sorry, let me go here. Under the umbrella of groups, this is important because you're going to hear groups mentioned a lot from now on. We're going to use groups to mean all of these communities. Our small groups that meet in homes, our Sunday adult communities, our men's ministry, women's ministry, care ministries, short-term teams, interest groups, and there probably are a few others out there that meet. So groups could be groups that meet in homes. It could be a group that meets on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock here in one of our rooms. It could be a group that meets on Wednesday nights for divorce care. It could be a group that's getting ready to go on a mission trip to Germany or to Beirut. Uh, They're all going to be groups. Some groups meet a long time. Some groups have shorter uh, durations. Some groups have a little bit specialized focus. Other groups are just general discipleship groups. This is what we're going to be talking about as we talk about groups. There'll be a lot of continuity with what you're doing, so boots on the ground. If you're leading a group, leading one of these ministries, it may not look a lot different. But as I counted all of these, and think with me on this, if you count all of these at the lowest level of all of these ministries of gatherings of people, think of just all of our like women's Bible study groups. I counted something like 85 groups in our church, 85 groups of people that are seeking to build disciples. And what we have a vision for now, and as Adam and Don and I have been talking and our elders are are sharing their vision for for this as well, is how are we going to have one common focus where we're all rowing together in this kind of ministry? And I'm looking at four different markers, I guess, that we're going to look at across the board in these ministries. And by the way, many of our ministries are already doing this, so this isn't a new thing. First is growth. We want every group at First Free to be studying God's Word or studying about God. Some con- the content is helping group members to grow in their faith and connect with God in a, in a greater way. Community. We want every group to build intentional relationships, to belong to one another, to, to be intentional about connecting in relationships. And care. We want every group to look after those who are in their group. So if someone's in the hospital in your group, you're caring for them. If someone's sick, if someone needs some food, needs some meals, going through a crisis, you're there for them. We're, we're wanting that to be a part of groups. And service. We want to look outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves in terms of reaching people for Christ, outside of ourselves, the people in our community, in our world who need help and who need us, who need us to, to care for them. Now those areas overlap. 
and we probably could come up with six different ways to divide these up. So I don't want us to get hung up on these as though we're missing something. Prayer, worship, you could come up with all kinds of other things that we could be doing that we certainly want to be a part of this. And we're going to be committed to, in the next few months and next few years, building a system that's going to help you as the community here, whether you're a leader or a participant in a group here at First Free, to know how we're doing, which means to measure some things. Not like we're going to have, you know, you need 20% more care next year or you're not going to meet the quota. Not that kind of care, but here are two or three things that we would expect to see if we're doing a good job at caring in our groups. Here are two or three things that we would expect to see if we're doing a good job at growing spiritually in our groups. And we'll be talking about those. And then we are committed as a church, as a staff, our elders, our leaders here, at equipping and motivating, mobilizing, encouraging, training you to be able to do the work that God's called you to do so that we could experience this kind of ministry together. Now, there'll be some groups who might be a little bit heavier in one of these areas than another. There'll be some groups that will be a little bit more focused on service, a little bit more focused on care. But we want all of these groups to be touching each one of these bases. I'm excited about this approach. I think it gives us a lot of advantages, a lot of opportunities for discipleship and for growth. And it's a structure that's built for growth, not for control. This is not going to be an overly controlled environment. It's going to be helping to make sure as we touch these bases that God is doing and building in us the kind of groups and the kind of people that he wants us to be. If a group is tracking in these four areas, you could be creative in what you do. You could be creative in how you meet, where you meet, what you do. If you're touching in these four areas. Are you familiar with a a shape toy that infants have, something like this. There are different versions of it. I, I, I see this as kind of a metaphor of what groups can be like here at First Free. A shape toy is to- one that toddlers use, and they find a little shape, wooden shape, and stick it in the box or the ball, however your toy looks. And they need to know where those different shapes are. And people come to our church in all kinds of different shapes, don't they? They come in all kinds of different shapes, and that might be depending on their spiritual maturity, Depending on their schedule, do they work three, three, night, three, I mean, three evenings a week in addition to their full-time job during the day? It might depend on their brokenness. It might depend on their experiences, on their convictions. But too many churches, instead of seeing all these people come, they, they have a shape box like this that's like, wow, we want you to belong here, and we have a place for you if you're a triangle. As long as you're a triangle, you are going to be so welcomed here, and for the rest of you... God loves you, but we just don't have a spot. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, we're not going to have shapes for everybody, but in this way of doing groups, what's exciting to me is if someone comes and they're in incredible pain and brokenness, we've got a, we've got a place for you. If someone comes and they're experiencing, they're at the very early stages of their spiritual journey, we've got a place for you. If someone comes and they're at that place where they, they've been at that spiritual plateau and they're kind of tired of being a Christian for so many years and just not doing that reproduction and multiplying themselves, we've got a place for you. We've got a group for you, and you're going to be doing that. So we're going to have all of these groups that are going to be running at the same time, and it gives us a lot of hope. So whatever the shape, we want everyone at first free to be plugged into a group. 
The cool thing about the shape ball kind of concept is once they get in, where are they at? They're in our community. The doorway that they take to come in, and you actually might move around once you get in, but you're in the community and you belong here. So I'm going to ask you to share a dream with me and a prayer and a hope that in the near future, it will be an anomaly to be part of this church and not be plugged into a community. That it would actually be a little awkward to be here for very long at all and not be enveloped into a community where you serve and grow and where you have community and where you care for one another. Now, some of you might be a little nervous about this. Some of you have spent most of your life trying to avoid community. And the thought of everyone being in a community is a little intimidating. So here's what I'm going to do for you. We're going to have a special group. We might even have more than one. A special group designed just for those of you who want to avoid community. <laughs> It'll be a fun group. And, and you're going to get together and you're going to talk about why you don't like community and you're going to talk about how hard it is to be in community and what the best strategies are to avoid community, and we're going to see what happens. So some of you might want to lead that group. Talk to me later. We'll get that going. Now, to support this ministry, to support this, here's what we're going to do. We are committed to equipping, encouraging, mobilizing, and motivating those of you who are leaders. So in the next few weeks and months, you're going to be hearing a lot more of this, ministry leaders and boots on the ground group leaders. We're going to be talking more about what this is going to look like because we want to help you to effectively carry out the mission of reaching people for Christ and building disciples. It's what you guys are all wired for. We on the pastoral staff here are here to equip you and to help you to be able to do what God's called you to do, and you could do it better than we can. More information is coming. Um, you got a quarterly today when you came in. If you are here today and you are not plugged into a community, you think, wow, I'm one of those outliers here. I don't have that. In that quarterly, you will see resources, whether it's small groups, home groups, or Sunday morning communities that meet here on Sunday morning, care ministries. Look through that. If you need a place to connect, we don't want to wait till the fall to get you connected. We'll give a little more emphasis on this in the fall, but we want to get you connected right away. If you want to talk to someone, come up and talk to anyone whose face you saw up here today, uh, and we'll talk to you about how to get connected a little more or stop at the information center, and we'll, we'll talk to you there as well. I also want to let you know and ask you to pray about this. We have a search team that just started meeting. They've met just a couple of times, and their task is to find the man that God's calling to be the group's pastor here at First Free. So we're looking for a full-time pastor of groups who's going to be over this area. Please pray, pray diligently that God helps us connect with the right person to lead this ministry and to help us to flourish and grow. And the last thing, I want to go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. All the while they praised God and enjoyed the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship daily those who were being saved. Each day, each day. We want God to be praised in all that we do. And I am confident that around us, where you work, where you live, where you go to school, where you work out, there are enough lonely, isolated people who have no idea what awaits them if they would come into a fellowship like this.
And we have an opportunity to invite them to be part of us so that they could experience the power that God wants to bring in their lives and deliver them. I ask you to pray with us about that. We're going to be working hard. Talk to us if you want to get connected more. Let's pray right now and ask God to make this a reality. God, you yourself are a community, so it's no surprise that you created us to be in community, to be connected with people. We mess it up a lot, our sin, our brokenness, our fears, our shame, but you're a God who overcomes that by the power of Jesus Christ. So I pray you would take this message this morning and this table that we're going to approach now and use it to bring into our hearts the reality of the invitation that we have. And please add to our number daily those who are being saved. Amen.